Welcome to episode 19 of Make Me Watch It, the podcast where you, the listeners, tell me which of the hundreds of movies in my collection I should be watching next. This month we are looking at The Red Pill from 2016. This came about in a bit of an unusual way. I was frustrated with the state of politics in the world in June and posted on my Facebook page a challenge for people to have a civil discourse and a civil conversation with someone on the opposite side of the political spectrum to where they are, and come out not necessarily agreeing with each other, but at least not insulting each other and understanding the other person's perspectives. One of my friends, Anae, suggested that he take that challenge one step further, and he challenged me to watch The Red Pill and post a public review of it. So The Red Pill is a documentary looking at the men's rights movement. It was originally released through festival circuits on March 7th, 2017. It was directed by Cassie J. She also edited it. As a documentary, there's not a specific writer. It's, you know, her asking the questions and the people she's talking to answering them. There's some footage from actual events, that sort of thing. I mean, it's a documentary. So a good documentary will not have scripting beyond, as I said, in this case, the choice to put herself in the film to be asking the questions. And the reason she did this is because, at least the way she tells it, her intention going into this documentary was to make a different film than the one that she made. In any event, I took an A up on his challenge, and I figured, yeah, you know what, I was watching this because he asked me to, so that was a good fit for this podcast. I did not previously own a copy, so Anae did actually, that was part of his challenge, is he was willing to put his money where his mouth was and actually paid for my copy for me, which I picked up through iTunes. And this really is a film about a feminist who is going to take a look at the men's rights movement from a feminist perspective. And what she found going through it is that her viewpoints were challenged because the way these men were described to her was not an accurate description for what she saw. And she found that when she actually listened to them, they were making some very good points and she was learning things about their perspective that are not common knowledge. So, for example, one of the ones that's not common knowledge. It is common knowledge that there are shelters for victims of domestic violence. And the immediate assumption or the mental image that pops into people's heads when that happens is usually men acting violently towards women. That is the majority of the scenarios, but there is disproportionate support for it. One of the the facts that they had in this documentary is that about There are about 2,000 or over 2,000 domestic violence shelters across the United States. One accepts men. The rest are exclusively for women. Now, 2,000 shelters for women is a good thing. They need the shelters because the violence is a real problem. The statistics they quote are that one in three women experience violence in a relationship and one in four men. 2,000 to one is not the same ratio as four to three. So that's, of course, one of the things that comes out with it. Now, there are times where there are cited statistics. Now, Cassie J did not choose 
to cite a lot of the papers that she got these from. The men's rights activists that she was speaking to and some of the feminists that she was speaking to were quoting numbers. She tells the audience that she looked into it and they were the same, but she didn't actually tell us where she found those sources. All she said was that she looked it up and what she was told was accurate. That doesn't tell me if, you know, there was one study that's out of line with the rest. So really, you know, I came into this thinking that, yeah, there are definite discrepancies between the way genders are treated. As a teacher in the private sector who often helps students get back on track when they're struggling, I have seen the disproportionate number of times when the courts award majority custody or sole custody to the mother rather than the father. Now, of course, cases like domestic violence, it makes sense to award full custody to one parent or the other. If one parent is a risk, the other one should have the kids full time. Period. No problems there. But I've seen a lot of cases where, you know, it was an amicable parting, there's no perceived danger to the kids, and mom's got the kids all five weekdays and every other weekend. That is fairly common. So there are a few good points made in the movie. The issues I have with it are coming at it from a scientific perspective. You know, she presents her case well, and I mean, Cassie J says she came in almost with an agenda. She came in with a particular mindset and found that challenged, and at the end she says she's not sure what to think. It does actually open eyes for some cases. I mean, the, the family law is a big one that a lot of people are already aware of. I am seeing shifts in that, at least here in Alberta, up in Canada. Like I said, I've seen some pretty extreme cases, but those are getting less and less common over the past 10 years. Some of the other elements, Cassie started as an actress, and she talks about her history as an actress, why she got into making documentaries, and some of her views are expressed in the form of video diaries that she said she was taking during the process. Now, she's not a particularly good actress, and some of these video diaries, it looks like she's acting. So, while I believe her thoughts are her thoughts, I'm wondering, are these really candid video diaries, or were they scripted and staged for the sake of the documentary? Because they come across as scripted and staged, they feel a little disingenuine, but that doesn't mean that the thoughts she's expressing are not legitimately her thoughts. It could just serve to undermine her credibility when it looks like she's acting in these scenes. The other thing that irks me is that a lot of her case is built on anecdotal evidence. Now, the plural of anecdote is not data. There are cases of grave miscarriages of justice here. You know, a case where a woman wasn't sure who the father of her child was. She needed to put a name on the birth certificate. So she chose the name of a man who was biologically incapable of being the father. He hadn't made the choice that needs to be made to produce a child, but she felt he could provide, so she put him down as the father. Paternity tests proved that he was not the father. He had nothing to do with the decision to produce this child, no share in this in any way, shape, or form. He was just a, a guy that she knew, and yet he's still required to pay custody because the mother chose to put his name on the birth certificate without his knowledge or consent. Now, I don't know 
anyone involved in that situation who wouldn't say that's a grave miscarriage of justice. One of the things that they point out in this is how often the media is biased towards women, you know, choosing to cover the kidnapping of girls by a terrorist group, but ignoring the number of times the terrorists let girls go and killed boys rather than just kidnapping them. That's a bit of a discrepancy. In this case, of the man who was not the father being forced to take sides, well, the media provided the footage that she used in the documentary. There were a number of interviews where he was saying this is wrong. So clearly he had the media support in that case, which is not something that Cassie J chooses to point out. So I don't know why the courts made that decision. Everything that's presented says it shouldn't have been. And it's a real case, as far as I could tell. This is a genuine problem, a genuine miscarriage of justice. But building a case on cherry-chosen or cherry-picked isolated incidents is not necessarily indicative of large trends. So watching this, I am absolutely convinced that there are conversations that need to happen about this. It really is looking at how the major pushes to equalize the population are focused more on where women are at the disadvantage rather than where men are at the disadvantage. That comes through clearly. And I don't think you could watch this and not agree that, yeah, there are cases where women have an advantage and those should be addressed along with the cases where they're at the disadvantage. But the way it's presented, as I said, the scientist in me, the numerical arguments do not have cited sources for the most part. Some do. And the real emotional ones that are effective for documentary filmmaking and the way documentaries are made are isolated anecdotal cases and not necessarily indicative of larger trends. So the scientist in me says, I want more data than they provided. That doesn't mean I am doubting the credibility of any of the specific events that this depicts. There are things that need to be addressed. It's just approached from the perspective of someone with humanities training and not necessarily training in understanding and interpreting statistics, which leads to cases like this where you choose the anecdotes. Now that's going to have more effect on most of the audience too. I mean, it was, I believe it was Stalin who said the death of one person is a tragedy. The death of a million is a statistic, right? Sometimes you need that person who can get out right up front and have that emotional sway on the audience, not make it a number, but make it an actual human being that they see and identify with. So a lot of the categories that we look at, you know, the plot synopsis, the concepts, the inspiration, we've covered that to the degree that we can, knowing that this is a documentary, so it doesn't really fit the mold of this podcast. We actually can't really discuss the box office performance because this went around the festival circuit and was shown there and then went directly to home video. So we don't actually have box office numbers to look at. I can tell you the ratings of it. IMDb users have voted on this about 7,000 times. The average rating on the IMDb is 8.4 out of 10. Now on letterbox.com, the average rating is 3.2 out of 10. Sorry, correction made during editing. That's 3.2 out of 5, not out of 10. Now Rotten Tomatoes has a pretty wide split. There are only seven ratings from professional critics, two of which were positive or fresh, five of which were rotten for a 29% score, and 
the audience score is 91% positive. Now, I could see some of this from the critics because they're right, this is unbalanced. This is about someone who came in looking at one perspective, and you know, she has chosen to show the people on the men's rights activism side and the men's rights advocates. She's got some very well-spoken, eloquent, calm, and very reasonable people who are saying that, yeah, there are problems where you know men have the advantage over women and these need to be corrected. They need to be funded. They're not trying to take any of that away, but they're saying men need some of that support in other areas. Now, it is unbalanced because I think she was trying to say, well, these guys are treated unfairly because they were incidents of you know, what the men's rights activists were calling the radical feminists, not the majority of feminists, but a, a radical fringe that were actively trying to suppress the conversation, things like pulling fire alarms at events to clear out the, the case and clear out the building so they could not present what they wanted to present, and that sort of thing. Now, some of the, the critic responses, you know, there's a couple that are using almost identical verbiage, which may or may not be coincidental, but in terms of filmmaking, this does have a few flaws. As I said, some of her video diaries do feel like they're staged setups, kind of scripts written for herself, but that, as I said, doesn't necessarily mean that the thoughts she's expressing are not her honest thoughts. It's, it, it could have been better assembled, but the message is clear, and it's not necessarily coming down on one side or the other. I mean, she does choose, like I said, very positive representations from the men's rights side. The feminist side has uh, people who used to call themselves feminists, now are men's rights advocates, who are also shown in a very positive light, very reasonable. Those who are opposing the men's rights advocates are, at least as presented here, they're not necessarily the common, rational, and respectable ones for the most part. They were chosen for their extreme views, their demeanor, somewhat off-putting. So there is a bias there, because it's not hard to find very articulate people act advocating for women's rights. But again, the reasonable articulate ones are not necessarily going to be fighting against these guys. What we've got here are cases of clear straw man arguments where they're saying, you know, people on this side are advocating for A, B, and C. And Cassie J says, I haven't heard anyone I spoke to suggest any of that. And she has video footage of them making contradictory suggestions. So is this fair and balanced? Not necessarily. But the core message that she explicitly gives at the end is that there is a conversation we need to have here. People are trying to silence this conversation. What these guys have to say should not be dismissed out of hand. They should be heard. And I think it would be hard to watch this and not draw the same conclusion. So in any event, that's what I have to say about the red pill. And then come August, we'll see what comes up. I'm hoping to get the release out on time. The next episode is due three days after my wedding. So yeah, it may not be a listener choice. It may be a romantic style movie that my now fiance, then wife, will pick out, but we'll see. So join us again on the 14th of August to see what we cover next month.
In the meantime, any and all feedback can be sent to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. And thank you for listening.